Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Ants Tommaso and Evan Knowles at Middle Tech Pod. Joined this week by Case Kenny, founder, editor in chief at Pursuit, and host of his own podcast, New Mindset Who Dis. We talk about those, we talk about him, we talk about personal development. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso and Evan Knowles here. And we are super excited to be joined today by the founder and editor-in-chief of Pursuit and the host of the New Mindset Who Dis Podcast, Case Kenny. How you doing, man? Good. Right on, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Now, you are up here in Chicago as well, correct? Sure am. Have you been here your whole life? Uh, no, so I've been here for the past eight years. Uh, I was born here, raised in Virginia, but went to school up in Midwest and then kind of just resettled here, but I've been here for a while now. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We, you know, we, I was kind of talking before we started the podcast, we really were focusing on Kentucky just because Evan and I have the roots here, but I think kind of the entrepreneurship space and the technology space in the Midwest and just anywhere besides the coast is really kind of undervalued as a whole. And I think you're, you're an awesome player up here in the Chicago space. So I'm really looking forward to just diving into your background and what you're doing up here. Yeah, no, for sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the Midwest that doesn't myself included humbly so but i think there's a lot of cool <laughs> cool players in chicago and the midwest it's just uh you know it's kind of an undervalued tech hub so yeah no i appreciate it guys for sure so let's kind of let's just jump in we'll do a little bit of background first uh on you before we jump into what you're doing now so you said you were born in chicago grew up in virginia um did you have any kind of young examples of entrepreneurship a little lemonade stand or anything like that no, nah, no, nah, I, I always say that like, I was not that dude at mm-hmm. all. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't one of those born and bred, knew I was going to be an entrepreneur kind of guy. Uh, probably the opposite. You know, I come from a family, brother is a doctor, mom was a lawyer, dad's a consultant, like pretty strict career paths, all things considered. So I was never that guy who, you know, wanted to necessarily start his own thing. But I think, Looking back, I could see kind of my tendency to do that. And anytime I experienced something that I thought was cool, I just really wanted to dive all in and, and experience it myself. So I think I saw that there. But I, I, you know, I always, you know, kind of had the expectation that I would, you know, work a traditional career path because a traditional career path, you know, provides structure and financial security and elevation and all those kind of things. So definitely, you know, becoming an entrepreneur was an acquired uh, thing for me, an acquired perspective. But yeah, I I was never slang and lemonade on the side of the road (laughs) or anything like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think that that, that led you to your decision of Notre Dame? The the feeling of you want to go into a more traditional job? What what led you to Notre Dame? Because it's definitely one of those universities that is well known for that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame is a pretty special place. My dad went to Notre Dame. I've got cousins, uncles. Uh, my grandfather went there. He, my, it's funny. My grandfather was actually Angelo Bertelli's roommate in the forties. Who Angelo oh, really? was the first Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, so yeah. I have like I have a long family history there, um, which awesome. definitely like led me to say, hey, you should probably at least look at Notre Dame. Um, but no, yeah, Notre Dame's a, a special place from like a community perspective, and that kind of spoke to me. But I went in yeah. there being pre-med and came out studying Chinese. So <laughs> I don't know what happened. I think there was a paperwork mix up or something. But, uh, uh, no, Notre Dame was great though. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about that, that major, the, the Chinese and Middle East studies as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how did that happen? And how did you, you know, translate that into your career path? Yeah. Um, how did it happen? Well, like I said, I went in, um, for pre-med, um, and didn't like it, was pretty challenged by it, to be honest. I always tell people, humbly so, people assume that I'm, like, really intelligent, and I'm not going to correct anyone, (laughs) but I'll tell you guys on the DL that I don't think I'm particularly intelligent, and I think when I went in there freshman year and was taking, you know, orgo and things like that, I was getting my ass handed to me, so I was like, you know, 
first of all, this is really challenging. Second of all, is this something that I'm really passionate about? Is this something that I, I you know, really want to see myself doing? And, you know, the idea to, to become a doctor was just, oh, you know, a doctor is cool. My brother's, uh, my brother went to Harvard and all this stuff and he, he became a doctor. He's a cardiologist. I was like, is this really my idea or not? And I was like, you know, it's really not my idea. Let me, let me settle into something that uh, I actually enjoy the process of, not just what I assume the end result would be. Um, and I had always been really good at languages. Like I, in high school, I took five years of Latin, like the most advanced level oh, wow. I could. Uh, and I was just really, really good at it. It was, it was just freaking weird. And I could pick up Spanish and Italian, like simple languages really well. So I was like, well, I may as well lean into languages, but I want to pick something that I can see a future with. So I was like, let me pick two languages in this, uh, in, in, you know, the 2000s, in this economy, in this world, global economy, what would be the most useful. I was like, well, Chinese for some international business element, and then maybe Arabic um, from a Middle Eastern perspective for from a government or like, uh, you know, relations uh, perspective. So I, I did both. It was like a double major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really good at it. I actually picked up Hindi and Urdu along the way as well, because they're very related to Arabic. Uh, so I, I did that for four years. It was intense. You know, it was every single day. Um, I ended up living in Shanghai for a little bit. Um, for the Chinese aspect, I was recruited by several government agencies for the Arabic aspect, um, never ended up pursuing that. And then, uh, long story short, ended up in Chicago working at an ad agency. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah there you go. What was Shanghai so still, like? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What, what was Shanghai like? So you said? Yeah, just living there. Uh, it, was, it was freaking awesome, man. Uh, yeah. It was it was great. I actually worked at a law firm, and along the way, I also thought I wanted to be a lawyer, so I did that. Uh, it was awesome. Shanghai is an amazing city. It's this cool hybrid of of east and west, and uh, just really cool. I've been to China many, many, many times. I'm actually I'm going to I'm going to Japan in a couple months, but I think I've always been fascinated by you know eastern uh, cultures. But yeah, living in Shanghai was great. I got a lot of great perspective there. And that taught me that I didn't want to be a lawyer. So after that trip, I came back. And then that was when I uh, ended up at an ad agency, which kind of makes sense for me because advertising marketing is all about understanding people. I think my background in languages and cultures was also about understanding people, how people speak, how people interact, their cultures, their nuances, things like that. So it kind of made sense. But uh, yeah, it was kind of a, hey, I need to work. Let me choose something that is practical but also somewhat aligned with what I enjoy. And I ended up at an ad agency, downtown Chicago, and kind of things kind of developed from there. Tell us about Amobi. Tell us, tell us about where you work. Yeah, so I worked at those agencies for a while, um, like four, year, four, four years or so. Um, and then eventually ended up at a company called Amobi. Um, it was called something former, but we were acquired by Amobi. And I've been at this company for about five years, uh, almost six years, actually. Um, it's it's an advertising technology company. If you're not familiar with the space, uh, it'd be rather difficult to explain. But just know that we provide <laughs> marketing and advertising technologies to to large brands, very large brands. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've I started as an account executive at this company and uh, rose up. I'm, I now run a sales team in Chicago as a senior uh, senior sales director. Uh, but it's been really really important to me from a development standpoint. I think sales is something that everyone should do at some point. Um, and really, the uh, you know having that sales background is what actually led me to start Pursuit and then my podcast and my other companies is that that perspective that the experiences at Amobi have and continue to provide me. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to dig into was what's that perspective that you get with sales that you think helps you throughout your career? Because you know, I, I do sales and I definitely understand what you're saying. And I would love to hear you shed some light on what, what your perspective is there on how sales translates to everything else. Yeah. So I, so I always say that I think people should do two things in life, and that's do sales and or wait tables at some point in their life. Wait tables is similar, but from a sales perspective, I, I think sales is so invaluable because it, it just like I'm a big like tough love kind of person with myself. And from my perspective like sales like force me to man up like sales is like sink or swim it's it's pretty black or white there's some gray area there but it's either you're either doing well or you're not doing well you're either good at it or you're not good at it right take out take out of that equation like you know learning and getting up to speed and whatnot but like once you're in it you're either good at it or not um and it really forces you to really be uncomfortable because if you're having like a down quarter, for example, it's like, well, I, I need to step up or I'm not going to work here anymore. And it really forces you to, to 
do everything you can, whether that's personally, be uncomfortable, put yourself out there, be rejected, be awkward, be embarrassed. Um, and it, and it forces you to really understand, uh, business and, and the art of, of selling, which is applicable to anything you do. I think if you have a job, if you're a creator, an entrepreneur, an artist, a musician, you're always going to be selling. And I think to not have that skill set um, is, is something <laughs> you would regret that. So I, I think sales is something that everyone should do. I mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Um, I, and I love it. I think I could never, I can never not do sales. One, I'm, I'm pretty, I admittedly, I'm pretty financially motivated and to be able to do something where the harder you work, the more you work, the more you make, like I need that to, to sit down and, you know, work a job for a flat salary to me is, is kind of insane. Um, so I've, I've always wanted to put myself in a position where the more talented you are, the harder you work, the more the reward is to me, that's ROI 101. And I want to be mm -hmm. valued for what I bring to the table. So I'm all about it. You know, I won't be at a Moby for the rest of my life. Like I have these businesses on the side, but you know, right now it's, it's the, the value is, is so much there that I, I continue to do it. Absolutely. And there's definitely a piece to it that, you know, if you, if you're a good salesman and you're selling something you're passionate about. It's there's also a piece to it that you're helping other people uh, through sharing ideas and through sharing the value of something. There's definitely a piece of that as well. If you're an entrepreneur and you have a product that you're creating, you got to be able to sell it to people because you're confident it helps them. Uh, so that's yeah. definitely an aspect of sales that's important is is building self confidence and helping people out. Uh, and you're right, the competitiveness of it drives you in other aspects of life as well. So you're 100% on the point with, with sales. It's definitely something everybody should do at some point in their life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like the personal aspect I think is so tangible. Uh, we were joking around the other day that when I went in to interview at this company six years ago, uh, several people said, don't hire me. Um, they thought I was like too quiet. And I pushed back on that because I didn't actually know I was interviewing like the CRO. I was like, hey, swing by the office. And then I get there. They're like, where's your resume? It was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a miscommunication. But everyone was like, I don't know about this guy. He's never done sales before. He's kind of quiet. He's kind of like laid back. Um, and now I like I won't shut up. So like it's definitely <laughs> done a lot to like develop me personally because I just don't care anymore. You could tell me no. You could say the most horrendous yeah. thing in my face yeah. and it's going to. I don't care anymore. And I think that's huge. And if it takes sales to teach me that, then I'm all for it. So I think, yeah, the personal element is huge for me. That's huge Absolutely. for entrepreneurship, just being able to roll with the punches and just keep moving no matter what people are telling you about it. Yeah. And it's, it's that. And like, like I, I am in a lot of high stakes meetings. I meet, I meet with CROs, I meet with CMOs, I meet with executives, like people that I think the, the standard nine to fiver in their twenties or thirties would be like, Hey, I don't really belong in this room. Like these are really senior, well-off, powerful people. Um, and like now, and to say it humbly, I, I feel like I belong in these rooms and I think that mentality has been developed from the fact that I've closed so many deals. I've started from zero and built huge books of businesses. I have no fear of reaching out to someone who previously I, I would be very timid to approach. Right. And like, you need to have that mentality for sales. And I think that carries over to a personal life. Now I'll walk up to anyone I want at a bar and say something or like, if I want something, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Like there, there's there, you know, I think there's very few things now that I, I would overthink and not do. And I think sales taught me that. Um, so I want to kind of move into pursuit and then the, these businesses that you've started while you're, you're doing the, the sales job, what kind of made you want to start growing an audience and, and start journeying into entrepreneurship while you were at the marketing companies and while you were you're building this book of business and this network? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. I was working at, I was at this time, I was at an ad agency and, you know, I was working with large brands, uh -huh. Procter and Gamble, folks like that. And like my mandate was to um, work with various online publications to connect with their strategic targets, their strategic audiences. So think like working with Buzzfeed or Bustle or Elite Daily or whatever to, you know, create, um, you know, promotional marketing campaigns against these audiences. And I was like, all right, cool. Uh, and then I would, I would go to these publications that they wanted to align with. And I was like, man, I am your target audience, but I hate this content like this. It's so flat. It's uninspired. It's superficial. Like if you're trying to engage with me and you think this is the type of content that does it, like we've got a real problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started talking to a lot of people. They're like, yeah, BuzzFeed is a joke. Elite Daily, no offense. I know Gerard who created it. Like it's, it's, it's fluff. It's fairy dust. Like we need something a little bit more substantive. So that was my idea. Um, and then I was like, you know, I've always been a pretty voracious reader and writer. And I was like, let me just start uh, blogging and curating. And so I created Pursuit. Um, at the time, the idea was a men's publication, um, not really about fashion or anything, but just like, I was like, I'm a dude, I, I know dude stuff. So let me just create it as a, yeah. you know, within that scope. Um, so I just started that and that was in 2014. Um, it was, it was a blog, it was a pursuit.com, you know, and as I started to be exposed to more of the logistical monetization side of online publishing, I started to understand what it takes to monetize, what it takes to scale, what it takes to grow an audience. And like, as I started to learn that, then I started to combine my passion for writing with this idea that, oh, maybe I could create some kind of business around around this. Um, so that's how it started. Obviously, there's been a very large pivot since then, which I'm happy to talk about. But that was that was the initial idea um, was around mm-hmm. this idea of pursuit and this idea of creating content that inspires. I have always called it perspective that inspires. Um, and the idea was to create content that was always derivative of experiences. The problem that I saw with Elite Daily, for example, was these people, you know, creating self-help content, but they never referenced the things in their life that made them realize this. And mm-hmm. to me, that was always a problem because I think millennials, Gen Z are pretty cynical people. Like we want to understand why you're saying this, not just spitting out rhetoric. We want to know what the experiences were in your life that led you here. So that was kind of the the foundation of the content. But uh, yeah, so that was in 2014, and obviously we're in 2019 now. So a lot has happened since then. But that was kind of the the genesis of everything. Yeah, I think so- one of the important things you said there was that you you did this for yourself. You know, in the, the originally you realized there was a gap because you were the gap. You realized you weren't getting the type of content you wanted. I think that's important when you're starting something, whether it's a podcast or a blog or even a company. You're creating it because there's a problem that you have or something that you notice is missing, not what you just notice is missing in the market because if you relate to it you're gonna be more passionate about it and you're gonna grow it because you want to you know serve yourself in a way i think that that was yeah that was one of the important things that i noticed in that yeah it's always been about me man it's always been about me uh yeah (laughs) i was yeah i definitely did it because i was interested in it and then the perspective from working at an ad agency was starting to make me think oh that's a cool concept you can create something that means something to you and maybe turn it into a business like that's that's cool stuff yeah so that's that's definitely how it started so in the five years since you kind of started it as a blog, it's now transitioned to an email. It's more than than just dude stuff. What did you see? In, what did you see in the market to to kind of expand it and make it what it is now? Yeah. Um, well, long story short, I ended up meeting some guys along the way. Yeah. Um, a couple of business partners. Uh, they eventually became business partners. Um, these are guys who are very successful. Offered a lot of great perspective. Um, but I toiled away with the online pub for a long time. Try, really, honestly, tried to make it work. If you know anything about online publishing, it's really tough nowadays to do it. There's been mm-hmm. massive layoffs across traditionally very successful online companies. Companies are folding. Yeah. A lot of reasons yeah. I go into that. But anyway, it's, it's a really tough time to do that. So uh, around this time last year, I was like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing any of this anymore. Like, is this a hobby? Is this a business? Like, how can we scale past small six figures? Like, I don't know what to do. And then I started looking around and I was like, where are the opportunities to create more owned and operated channels of distribution than relying on like online traffic from Facebook or, you know, uh, SEO from Google? Like there's gotta be a better way so that the variables of the industry don't affect me so much. Right. So I can Mm -hmm. own, own what I have. And then I started looking around, like I met Sam Parr who runs the hustle, which is a daily email. I met Alex Lieberman, who runs The Morning Brew, which is a daily email. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously I'm familiar with the scam. I was like, this is a cool concept, right? Like they create dope content, but it doesn't live on a blog. It doesn't live on Facebook. It lives in an email. And I was like, well, no one can take email away from you. People can unsubscribe, of course, but you know, a Facebook algorithm isn't going to shut you down. Uh, Google deciding to re-rank your website isn't going to shut you down. If you can hook people with your content, get their email and they like it, like there's no turning back. 
So then I took a look at what we had been doing and looked at our email list. And I was like, wow, our email list is really engaged. Like there's it was a small email list. I was like, people really uh, seem to like the, the small emails that we would send out. So basically, I just did a quick pivot. I was like, all right, from here on out, no more content on pursuit.com. All the content is going to live in the email. And that was in like December of 2017. And I got my first big sponsor that month just from that quick pivot someone happened to be on the list that was like this is great um we'd love to sponsor you give you 10 grand and then it kind of just exploded from there um you know the email list blew up it's i've you know toiled and and experimented and you know grown a lot of experience over how to grow an email list and that's where we are now um you know owning you know a, a large email list working with sponsors like monetization is like hockey stick right now compared to what we used to do um so yeah that's that's the basic pivot we basically pivot to to email only yeah yeah that makes sense are there any cons to email only like off the top of my head one thing i can think of is you know is it kind of temporary like the next day the email is just buried in the inbox or are there any other risks to kind of that pivot um i mean what you said is true but again you got to consider that the way that we monetize right now it's not the only way is we work with with brands so yeah. When we hit send on an email, you know, you're getting 40, 50,000 people reading it within a very short amount of time. So mm -hmm. I can go to an advertiser and say, hey, if you're promoting something, I can do this for you in a very short amount of time. Whereas previously, it's like, all right, we're going to flight this out. We're going to try to push traffic here and here. And it's much more sustained. Like I can give a, a, a brand results in a 48-hour period and then move from there. So it's it's very contained. And I, I, I tend to like that. Um you know, there's, you know, I, a lot of the, the emails, you know, then you can host them online and continue to push content there. But I, I really don't see any cons to email. People are like, oh, email's dead. Like, no one uses email anymore. I really disagree with that. I think email is as alive as it ever could be. People are moving away from Facebook. People are on mm -hmm. Instagram. But, like, I see email as, like, your home address. And if you're willing to give someone your home address, you're, like, letting them into your life. And I... I think it's an extremely personal way to communicate. Anyone yeah. can respond to the email and it goes to me and my team and we always respond back. You, you read an article on Forbes and you want to get in touch with the author. It's, it's tough to do. Sometimes there's no contact info. Sometimes you got to go to Twitter and hope they respond. And even then from Twitter, you got to take it to email. If you really want to talk, like it's easy. It's just two way street of communication. It's very personal. So I love it. And the biggest thing I've always said is you're not building on rented land. Like I grew our Facebook page to like 80,000 followers and I toiled over that for years. And then Facebook basically took it all away. You post there, no one sees it. Like no yeah. one can take email from you. Yes, there are certain nuances with deliverability and inbox placement and things like that. But largely speaking, if you can get people to care about it and they enjoy it, like they're going to continue to read it every day because they expect it in their inbox at 10 a.m. Central and they love it. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with email. Talk about how you grew the list. Uh, where are you acquiring the, the people that are signing up for this and subscribing? Yeah, so it's, it's a mix of organic and really strategic paid promotion. So um, I mean, organically, it's, it's easy to grow. Like people forward the email for one. Um, we have an ambassador program that we're working on um, to make it better. But when we first launched it, it just exploded. People want to share that. Um, you know, I, I have 150,000 followers on Instagram. I've got my personal account. Um, it's easy to grow a couple hundred a day there just by encouraging people to subscribe. Um, and then from there, it's, it's basically paid promotion. We run a lot of Instagram ads um, really strategically, and it, it really works. Like our, our paid CPA, our, 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 our acquisition cost per subscriber uh, is really low. And that's because I think we know our audience really well and what resonates with them. And we can run ads um, that target them. And then they sign up and then they see what it's all about and then they enjoy it. Um, so it's, it's a mix of that. Um, it's also a mix of playing nice with the other large emails like i like i said i've known alex for a while at morning brew um and sometimes we'll toss each other promotions just out of reciprocity yo sign up to the morning brew yo sign up to pursuit and we'll exchange audiences um or we'll pay each other to do it you know we'll do a paid placement in their email um and that's that's worked really really well um to date also and then also i mean pursuit we just did a small capital raise so we've got some some growth capital coming in that's going into things like more paid acquisition strategies more really strategic partnerships 
Uh, and then just, you know, more more spreading the word. And we do a lot of press. We've been an entrepreneur in Inc. and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of, of all those things for sure. Yeah, I think at the core of all of that, what makes makes the most difference is just your content. And, you know, I've looked at a couple interviews that you've done and everything, and I, I think you always go back to that. It's you could target these people, you could get them to sign up. But at the end of the day, if the content isn't good, they're going to leave. And so that kind of is the core of everything. Yeah, the content, it's got to be good. And it's an interesting thing because I don't know any other email, daily emails that are as large as we are that focus on self-development content. There's a lot of mm -hmm. bloggers who send out a weekly email or something that's self-development, but I don't know any like really organized publications that do daily email focused on self-development that's as large as we are, you know, in the six figures mm -hmm. uh, as far as subscribers. And it's always been a challenge because the thing with other emails like the skim or the brew or the hustle is they play on this idea of FOMO, right? Because they're all about staying up to date on different news aspects. And people are like, oh, I want to know what's happening on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. They, they have this inclination to open and read. Whereas in the self-development side, you don't necessarily have that. Like there's no sense of urgency to necessarily consume the content we have. So we really have to find a different way to hook people um, and make them mm -hmm. and coming back. And we've experimented with a lot of different formats, a lot of long form, short form, linking, not linking, um, summaries, not summaries, things, things like that. So it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely a different game for us to be, to be playing. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it always comes back down to the content and self-development content's a lot more subjective. Like we get hate, people are like, this is stupid. Like your opinion's stupid. Whereas for, <laughs> for tech news, it's like, oh, well, you're just reporting the news. For yeah. news on Wall Street, it's, the news is the news. There's no subjectivity to it. So for us, like, it's definitely more of an uphill battle, comparatively speaking. But at the mm -hmm. same time, this type of content resonates. People feel this on a fundamental level. It's more personal. So I think we have that advantage. So it's it's a, you know you got you got to weigh the two. Um, you got to be. I mean, personally, I write all the content. So I've got I I've kind of again to my point earlier. Of course, I care and I want feedback, but I, I've stopped taking things personally when people don't like what I write. Uh, yeah. It's definitely been a learning <laughs> process. Yeah, and that ties back into being a salesperson as well. Yep. Uh, well, let's jump into kind of the, the self-help stuff a little bit um, now that we've brought it up. How did you eventually land to kind of move into that space? And I think you bring such a unique perspective to that space. Kind of what's your mentality behind that? Yeah, I mean, you said the key word there is perspective. Yeah, I've never wanted to be a like. I don't. I, I don't even. I don't like the word self help necessarily. Someone the other day called me a, a motivational speaker. I was like, Yo, I'm not a motivational speaker. Um, I don't. I like. I with pursuit and writing in general. I've always just found that the power of perspective, whatever it's on, is just that. It's powerful. Like mm -hmm. you. Like you can read something that you've never heard before and you're like, wow, like I had no idea. Like this fundamentally changes the way I look at life or something specifically. Um, and the more I just started writing about different topics, the more I came to realize the power that certain perspectives can have on your mindset. Um, I just started to learn as, as I developed as a human in my 20s that, you know, the way that you think about things, the way that you see the world around you fundamentally changes the, the way that you engage with it. So I just kind of became obsessed with this idea that you can train your mindset to help your actions follow. Um, and it kind of just went from there, honestly. I think I look at my own path as a person to going from not very confident, not very sure of myself, not very sure of what I want to do to pretty much the opposite of that and realizing that that all came about as a result of my mindset. So I write about mindset. You can call that self-development, self-help, whatever you want. Kind of landed in this space, but I'm pretty adamant about, and people come at me all the time when I like, I, I'm very, I'm not against because I think some people do it right, but I don't like the idea of life coaches or self-help gurus. Like, I'm really not about that. I don't think anyone has the right answer or could possibly have the right answer. I'm just a dude who's got some perspective, who has grown, and I write about that. I don't write about anything else because I have no right to write about anything else. I write about what I know, and it seems to be helping people, so I lean into that for sure. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So we talked about the pursuit the the email list and all that kind of stuff in the in the past year i believe you started to translate that into the podcast yes so first off new mindset who dis where did that name come from so that came from i actually started 
using that in promotional material for pursuit. Because again, okay. the, the idea was, you know, you've seen the the cheesy text when someone texts you, you're like new phone, who dis? Yeah. Uh, the idea was like, <laughs> you can fundamentally change your mindset over a rather short period of time and you're like a whole new person. So I started doing that for pursuit because that's really what pursuit represented. represented. And then people are like, hey, so you should start a podcast. And I was like, okay. So I, yeah. I did. But granted, you see that I waited a long time to do it. Like I waited, you know, four or five years to do it. Um, and that was pretty intentional as well. Like I wanted to wait until I had something to say. I see a lot of people that are young and I totally respect that. I think it's awesome. I see young people want, wanting to and writing self-help content. I'm like, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. But you can only write about what you know about. If you're young and you're writing, con if you're writing help content about things you don't know about, I, I really disagree with that because you should only write about things that have come from your experiences. I think anything else is just, there's a theory. You're just guessing and that's not helping anyone. So I wanted to wait until I had more life experiences, until I had really learned more and, and then translate that into something more personal, which is the podcast. Uh, and now I, I do that a lot. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings. So yeah. I throw them all out there now. Yeah. Um, and your style, I mean, just like the emails is it's very laid back and casual. Um, I assume that's pretty intentional as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you see those like YouTubers, like when they open their video, like, Oh, what's up guys? Welcome to the, like, dude, <laughs> subscribe. It's like, like, what did yeah. you do before this? Like, or take it easy. Like, how many how many cups of coffee or like whatever? Like, <laughs> like that's overplayed. You don't need to overmarket yourself. I think, mm -hmm. I think it's tough to stand out now. And I think maybe if I did more of that, I I could have a larger listenership. But I, that's not me. So I keep it pretty chill. It seems to resonate, and I'm going to continue doing that for sure. So I think I think some of that comes from empathy as well. The way that you speak to your audience, you know, understanding how people want to be spoken to. Uh, where'd you pick up that that skill? Is it sales? Is it just something you're you're naturally tended to? Where does that come from? Because that your yeah. your you know the way you speak to people speaks to how well you understand them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think sales certainly helped, but I think it's myself. It's, again, the fact that I speak from my experience, and I think I get a ton of messages from people who are expressing frustrations with areas of their life. And I can look back on my life and I was like, yep, I was there, I was there, I was there, I was there, I was there. Like I've experienced all those things. So like I can't help but be empathetic because I've literally lived through all of those stages personally. So that easily translates. And for me, again, like I said, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to not be like a lot of the people that I see that are hosting podcasts and blogging and writing books that are just so full of themselves and call themselves experts or influencers. Yeah. Like I hate, I hate that stuff. Uh, I, I don't, I, that's not me. Like I'm, I'm not an expert. Like I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a fantastic digital marketer. I think I'm a fantastic salesperson, but I wouldn't have the audaciousness to call myself an expert in any realm there or within self-help as well. So I think just that mindset for me helps translate to a strong sense of empathy because like I, I get it. I've been in a lot of people's shoes and that's how people want to be talked to. People don't want to be talked down to like, I have a lot of respect for Gary Vee, for example, but lately it's like, it's frustrating to listen to this stuff because sometimes it's just so dominating in his sense that you have to listen to him because he can walk into any business and run it. And, and to me, it's like, I don't think people react well to that anymore. There's too much of that. People want to talk to a chill dude who has powerful things to say, but who relays it in a more humble way. So yeah. I'm always trying to find the balance between being a thought leader and being, um, you know, an empathetic peer, um, which is a challenge, especially when you're trying to stand out. But for now, I'm happy with the latter because it, it builds more of a relationship. And, and that's what I want to do. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you with the Gary Vee stuff. I, I, I definitely listened to him early on and, and several years ago. And, and lately, I, I've stopped kind of listening to him because you're 100% right. Uh, he definitely has that tendency to uh, make you feel uncomfortable, which is what he's trying to do. But once you understand his message and you go off and you do what you're supposed to do, his message is not as valuable anymore because yeah. you're now comfortable with being uncomfortable. And once you get past that, you know, he, he's, you know, you, you don't need to listen to him as much. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with the podcast, what are your thoughts on kind of 
the the own space of having a podcast versus the email and then just kind of that industry going forward as well how do you see your podcast growing in the future yeah podcasting is tough man i'm not gonna yeah. lie like it's it's really tough because there's no there's no platform like Instagram that allows for organic discovery. Like mm -hmm. iTunes pretty much dominates or it's called Apple podcasts. Yep. And unless you're on the featured section or unless you're on the top charts, there's really no way for people to find you and combine that with the fact that everyone and their mother is coming out with a podcast nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's really freaking tough. Like, yeah, I try to help people all the time grow and I'm like, they're like, well, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, it's instead of it's a sucky answer, but I have an advantage in that I I can email 163,000 people and tell them about my podcast. Yeah, and that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> so I'm I know a lot more companies are leaning into embracing podcasting, like Pandora and Spotify, and SoundCloud, and folks like that. I think it's going to get easier, but everyone is podcasting nowadays, so there's a lot of dilution there. Um, I think the the biggest thing for me is you know is having distribution outside of just the podcast listenership that i could throw to i think the biggest thing for me is if you listen to the podcast my call to action is always hey follow me on instagram and message me on instagram and i think that helps build some rapport there helps bring things alive um, whereas before not a lot of people do that i think the biggest mistake that i see with people that are starting a podcast starting a podcast is they'll create a website on the website, they'll have, hey, make sure to check out the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud and Stitcher and CastBox and everywhere else. And I'm like, you need to be really specific in where you tell people to listen to you, at least to start, because that's too many options. So for me, for the first months, I was like, hey, I, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, that's it. Go there, subscribe, rate and review, that's it. And that really helped because... I've got a big base there and then I can scale away from that. But for now, that's really all you can kind of lean into. Um, but I mean, I think the an answer of course that I would also get is or give is, you know, content speaks. I mean, if your yeah. content's good, people start sharing it. That's just the way the world works. So if you can find a way to stand out and I, I, so I used to host another podcast called The Hustle Sold Separately where we used to interview guests um, mm -hmm. and it was great. A lot of value. I think traditional, um, format of podcasting is to have a guest on. And yeah. I've found that a lot of people um, do it well and a lot of people don't do it well. The people who don't do it well don't lean into their own personalities and brand themselves. They let their guests carry the show. And I always saw that as an opportunity to challenge myself. I was like, I could start a podcast and interview people and it'd be easy. But that's not challenging me to come up with content and keep people coming back. So I don't do guests on my show. It's not an ego play or anything like that. I just wanted to challenge myself to be able to, for 20 straight minutes, just talk myself and yeah. do that. Eventually, I'll start doing some guests. But I think the reason I mentioned that is I think there, you have to be strategic in how you can make yourself stand out. If you're just another show that brings on guests, it, it's, it's going to – I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying you're, you're in the field with millions of other podcasts that do the same thing. How are you going to stand out? Uh, and that's the challenge that I think everyone – has, but it's also the biggest opportunity. So you combine that with the fact of you know, understanding how distribution works. And I, I think, you know, 2019 is going to be a huge year for podcasting. It's just yep. about understanding where you can position yourself to do well. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm kind of recognizing in the industry is just how niche everything is going. And I think that's beneficial, just like any other content, you know, people are able to find exactly what they want to find. Um, but I mean, that's why we started this podcast, because we were in Kentucky, we were in the Midwest, and we realized that technology and entrepreneurship wasn't getting covered in that specific area. And I think uh, one thing that when people are asking me about why we started this, it's just we, we found a need and we jumped into it. So I yeah. think that's kind of something, and you do the I same. I mean, that. you you found the need with with your content, and you just brought it over to the podcast. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Passion yeah, too. I mean, yeah. Niching down is is huge. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know some people who do Chicago sports podcasts in, in Chicago. I think that's great. Yeah. That's super niche. It's not sports. No, it's more than that. So your idea, I love it. It's it's niched. It's boiled down, and it's clearly going to resonate within that community. But mm -hmm. then you can scale it from there. So I think that's the right mentality for sure. Passion passion's definitely important too because you're able to provide a lot more value when you're passionate about something because you do the research, you understand it, and you're able to give a different perspective just like you do with self-help because you've, you've, you've dived in deep with self-help, you know, whether it's books, whether it's other people's podcasts. That's something you're, you're passionate about is helping other people through your content. And it's no different with us in uh, technology. You know, we're passionate about it, so we're able to provide values and perspectives uh, that other people can't. And so that's what gets to listening 
listenership and, and everybody coming to us to get that perspective. Yeah. yeah I mean, you've got to care. <laughs> you've got to care about <laughs> what, you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm passionate about it for sure, but I'm more curious about it as well. And I think it's yeah. that curiosity that I think really drives me to continue doing it. Um, mm -hmm. And that also drives other people. So yeah, for sure. So, so tough question coming off of that, then if you only had 30 seconds uh, to, you know, tell people your best content about, you know, self-help and personal development um, is probably a better word, personal development. What, what have you found is, is the biggest things that people can do and what are the main messages that you want to get across? Uh, I mean, I think it's somewhat simple. I think it's you, you have to get out of this mentality that you can read yourself or think yourself to improve. Like I think reading and thinking is fantastic. Obviously, I'm all about that. If you didn't read my email, I'd be out of business. <laughs> but the own, it serves one purpose and it's to get you to act. Like mm -hmm. you can't become a self-help junkie where you just read all the books, read all the blogs, listen to all the podcasts, and then expect yourself to improve. You have to, you have to go out and live it. Um, that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. I'll, I'll leave it there because I could go on a tangent, but like you could take all my, you can listen to my podcast and message me and say how great it is. And I freaking love that. But I want you to then go out and live it. Like go and do that thing that I talk about or try to apply it in your life. Otherwise it's worthless. Otherwise it's all talk. It's all theory. So you have to, you have to consume and then act, not just consume, just consuming yourself. It'll, you'll consume yourself in circles. It's not going to do you any good. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, uh, you know, lean forward type mentality. The, what I just referred to would be more lean yeah. back passive. And like, that's great. And I think it's amazing to p fill your head with perspective, but you, then you have to go out and act on it. Yeah. I think the, just the, the logistics of the timing of your podcast kind of leans itself into that as well. I mean, we're going on now 40 minutes in this interview and most of the podcasts I listen to are, are 40 to an hour plus as well. Um, but it seems like you really try to stick below 30 minutes at the most. Um, and is that kind of to one, provide a little bit of short form content, but two get people to not just keep spinning their head in the development space. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you say that. I, I don't know if you saw Gary V released a six hour podcast the other yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude, what planet are you on? But anyway, I, I think he's interesting because I'm sure he did it for a reason. I'm sure he was like trying to test a theory or something. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I don't really listen to a whole lot of podcasts and I do that for a variety of reasons. I listen to podcasts, but not as many as I, I think people would expect me to. I do it one because I really don't want to regurgitate other people's content. I try to be as original as possible. Uh, and two, I, I, I'm ADD, man. I can't sit there and listen to a 40, 50 minute podcast. Like yeah. I think 20 minutes is perfect. Like it's a morning commute. It's a trip to the gym. It's, you know, whatever it's walking down the street. Like you can consume that pretty quick. So yeah. I'm like, if you do business with me, if you know me, like I am pretty to the point. I'm very impatient. I want to go, go, go. I don't like to talk in circles. So yeah. I think for me, it, it fits my style and it's a little bit unique. I really don't see a lot of people doing that, that, that style necessarily. I definitely see people doing it, but I, I think 20 minutes is just, honestly, it's the perfect amount of time I found. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's kind of wrap up with a, a few overarching questions. Um, being an entrepreneur with, uh, you know, with the email and with the podcast and everything, are there any major lessons you've learned through entrepreneurship that we maybe haven't covered with some of these other topics? Yeah. Um, I mean, I only recently have considered myself to be an entrepreneur because to my point earlier, it's like I was growing pursuit as a hobby. Yeah. And it's like I had to take a look. at. I was like, do I want this to be a hobby or do I not? Um, and like for me, it's like you have to make that decision. Like I think a lot of people are really just obsessed with this idea of being a CEO. And, and again, no disrespect to people who do this, but I see people who will start a blog or who will start a t-shirt company and then they hop on their LinkedIn and they call themselves a CEO. And I'm like, I would like for pursuit, I wouldn't, I would, it says CEO on our articles of incorporation, but I would never call myself a CEO until we're an eight figure company. And to me, like that, that's important to me because it's, it, it, 
It's reducing this temptation. People want to be called a CEO. People want to think they're a business person, but you, you have to become that first. Like you have to drive a business. You have to create a business. So I, I think like the biggest thing is like know why you're doing something. Don't create a company just because you want to be a CEO. You, you read Forbes a lot and you think it would be cool. Like you have to, you have to create it for a reason. And I know it's a little cliche. You got to build a business from your passion. But like I have found that to be incredibly, incredibly true. Like I have... I've I have several other businesses that I've launched and that have not done well. And it's because they were not stemming from that that point of purpose, that point of creativity, passion, whatever you want to call it. You've got to you've got to create it from something that matters to you. And you shouldn't do it for ego driven reasons, like to call yourself a CEO or whatever. Like mm -hmm. and to me, that's still the wrong reason. So I would say that. And then the other biggest thing is like it's it's going to come from experience. Like if you're if you're doing it for the right reasons, you want to become an entrepreneur, I say that's freaking awesome, but just know that you're not, go be, you're not going to be able to think and plan yourself into an entrepreneur. It's going to come from version 12 of that business idea that you launched three years ago. Like, yeah. I, would love, I, would, I, would, I would love it if you're listening and you launch your business tomorrow and it does well in its first year. I think that's fantastic. I couldn't be happier for you, but the reality is it's probably not gonna happen. And I see a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's awesome. I've got my brand kit. I've got my logo created. I've got the, <laughs> the website all mapped out. I'm like, oh, cool. So how many sales do you have? They're like, well, we haven't launched yet. I'm like, well, you, you have to launch. Launch something that's crappy. Try it out and then stick and move. But otherwise, like, it's, it's going to take time. But I think if you, if you combine those two mentalities together, it's a, it's a winning, it's a winning uh, combination. Yeah, awesome. That, I, I really like those insights. Um, and then... Being a personal brand, I mean, people can follow you on Instagram, case.kenny, correct? Yep, that's right. How do you feel about growing your personal brand, and what do you think is important in, in people doing that? Oh, I'm passionate about this. So I think it's very important. I think in this day and age where it's easier than ever to hide behind a business or some kind of business brand, you have mm -hmm. to do it. For me, though, I waited until this time last year to start my personal brand. And that was because, again, as I said before, not to sound self-righteous, but I really think you have to have a reason to promote yourself, a reason to give people to believe in you. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that was, okay, well, I've spent five years working on this business. I've learned a lot. I have these thoughts. I've grown as a person. You should believe it for this reason. Um, you know, I write for Forbes as well, but that's from my sales experience, my tech experience, my entrepreneurship experience, but I only just started doing that. I wouldn't have done it years ago. And I see so many people, you know, they make six bucks on Insta on YouTube, call it, and then they start <laughs> their personal brand and they start selling a YouTube course or call themselves a YouTube monetization expert. And like, I'm all for it. I'm all for how excited you are about what you've done, but why should people believe you? And the thing is like, when you start doing that, people start they start sliding their moral compass and they start exaggerating things for their personal brand. I'm just not about that, man. I, I'm about being freaking legit and real. Like mm -hmm. I stand behind what I stand. Like when brands reach out, I don't fluff numbers. I tell them what it is. I tell them what the downside of working with us is. And that's the end of the story. Same with my personal brand. Like when people DM me and they're like, Hey, I've got this big problem. I'll message back and be like, Hey, I don't know the answer, but here's something that might help. Whereas yeah. I think a lot of other people would get a DM like that and they'd be like, here's what you need to do because I am the expert here. And I think a little bit of vulnerability, a lot of empathy, and then that's how you create a personal brand. You don't create it around this need to be an influencer, which is why I was actually looking at my Instagram bio the other day. I might add it later to it. I was going to put in my title, not an influencer, because I just <laughs> don't, I don't like that. Like, what does that mean? You're an influencer. Yeah. What exactly are you influencing? Oh, you're you write. Okay, that means you're a writer. Yeah, like yes, inf influence is influence, and you in effect you're influencing. But people hide behind that, and they th and they think that they need to influence. They need to be this higher than thou, you know, persona. And they, you know, so I can yeah. talk in circles about this, but yeah, I think personal branding is very important. You need to give people a reason to believe you. You need to give your business, bring it to life with a personal, a person, um, you know, for me to do the email, like people are like, wow, case, you're kind of full of yourself. Your, your pictures everywhere on the email, your pictures here, here and here. And I was like, I only do that because I think it's important for people who read the email to know that it's not some quote team of self-help people. It's just a dude who lives in Chicago who has some thoughts. And mm -hmm. to me, that's helps pursuit and it helps me and it all comes together. And, you know, personal branding gives people to 
realize that there's a human behind the business, behind the service, behind whatever you're offering. And I think in this day and age, that could not be more important where you have meme accounts. You have fuck Jerry, for example, (laughs) running, running the internet. And it's just a bunch of dudes in New York doing it. Like you have to bring that to life, I think. Um, So yeah, so all about it, but you just got to do it for the right reasons in the right way and just be authentic about it. Yeah, and I think that last word you used right there is is really key, the the authenticity, the genuineness. And I think I mean Fuck Jerry is a great example just with the the Fire Fest documentaries yeah. that came yeah. out and everything. I think people are beginning to see through the these so-called experts and influencers and that'll never go away, I don't think, uh in in completely, but I think that that tinge of authenticity in a way, even if you say maybe I'm not an expert, does add credibility to your voice just because you can recognize that in yourself. Yeah, it's a weird world. I think we've gotten to the point where saying you're not an expert can honestly do you more favors than, than five years ago than saying you were an expert. Yeah. Because everyone's an expert nowadays. If everyone's an expert, <laughs> then how do you know who you're supposed to listen to or who you're supposed to work with? Like yeah. humility plays. Like I won't say his name. I'm looking at a guy on Instagram right now. And this guy, you know, markets himself as an expert, yada, yada. But I look at all his captions and like, I'm like, dude, this guy is like, I'm always 10 steps ahead. Like, dude, you're so full of yourself. Like, what is, <laughs> what is going on? Like, yeah. where is the humility? And like, and I get that that plays a little bit, but I, I, I'm telling you, and I agree with what you said. I think we're seeing a movement on, it's called it on Instagram or just in general, people don't believe you anymore. <laughs> people mm-hmm. are skeptical. People are cynical. And that's because everyone's an expert. You know, yeah. and I think the people that are going to win are the people who are going to back away from that know-it-all mentality and who embrace, honestly, what I kind of stand by, which is vulnerability and recognizing that you don't know everything, but what you do know, you know well, and you're willing to extend a helping hand in that arena specifically. And I think we're going to see a big movement away from all these people who, you know, swag all over the internet only to realize that, you know, it kind of can come crumbling apart rather quickly. And the people who win are those who are vulnerable enough to admit that they're not perfect, but they know certain things that can help in certain areas. And I think that's how you're going to win personal branding in 2019 and beyond. For sure. And so we always like to end our episodes. Um, you know, we, we started the podcast to, to highlight entrepreneurship and spaces where it wasn't highlighted. What's your view on entrepreneurship and the startup community in Chicago? How have you felt supported? And, you know, what do you think needs to improve? I think entrepreneurship in Chicago is fantastic. You know, I've spent mm-hmm. time in, in L.A., in New York, uh, in Arizona, in Scottsdale, like pretty large hubs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just the Midwest mentality, but here I just I've found so many people eager eager to help. Um, there's a lot of great communities in Chicago, Chicago Inno at 1871, um, and several several others. Um, yep. There's a lot of female centric, uh, evolve her things like that that are that are really great to lean into. I, I've just I think the Midwest is a great opportunity. Like starting a, a publication in the Midwest, there's not a lot of huge ones here in New yeah. York. I think I would be a small fish there. I'm definitely not a large fish in Chicago, but I'm a bigger than average fish here, you know? Yeah. And I think that does me, that does me, it serves me really well. Um, and you combine that with the fact that there's a lot of great people in Chicago who are willing to help doing a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of opportunity to collaborate. Um, it's, it's fantastic. You just got to, I think you just lean into the communities here. I spent a lot of time at Soho house, for example, in Chicago. And yeah. that's, uh, I think the Soho house here is very different from the one in like LA. Um, you know, people aren't swagging. People are here to find, um, commonalities and work together. So I think it's, yeah, it's all, it's, Chicago, the Midwest is fantastic. It's about leaning into those communities that you can and then, you know, just, um, you know, finding finding like-minded people. And I think when you do that, they'll be more than willing to, um, you know, offer a helping hand or collaborate or things like that. It's, it's a great, great, it's certainly a great regional community. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you, Case? How can we get people to engage with your content? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I'd say case.kenny on Instagram is a great place to start or the email pursuit. It's prsuit.com. Couldn't afford that first vowel but uh <laughs> that's the that's the best way the the podcast is new mindset who dis it's everywhere i think itunes is the simplest but it's also spotify everywhere else but yeah between those three it should be pretty easy to find me <laughs>